Good day to you, fine people of God. I'm Pastor Cole McClendon coming to you from Central Assembly of God, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. I trust that you will find great value in listening to this message today. My hope is that you're encouraged and strengthened by the word given and that you will return to this site frequently to listen in. Be blessed. With you here today, God's disturbing faithfulness is the title to my message. Um, God's disturbing faithfulness. You are not the God we would have chosen, Walter Brueggemann. Yeah, try to spell that one out, right? <laughs> um, he prays in his book, Odd to Heaven Rooted in Earth. And I find that that troubling prayer resonates in my own heart as I expect it does in your heart uh, on those days when you're really honest. And so today I'm going to root around in your spiritual life, in the depths of your soul and, and ask you to be brutally honest with yourself today because in the end, it's really you and God uh, that meet on the plane of his faithfulness and how you measure that out. Because the truth is, most often, I would have chosen and indeed do choose a God, little g, other than him, capital H. Uh, most often, I would rather not have to learn hard lessons the hard way. Come on, somebody. I'd rather have, not have to worship God in the wilderness. How many of you have ever been there? And, and you, you're not the children of Israel, but you've had wilderness experiences in your life, haven't you? Those days when, when everything isn't working the way that you think it should work, right? I'd rather not have to worship Him in those circumstances that way. I'd rather have God simply meet my expectations. Fix my problems, Lord. Heal my hurts. Be on your way. I want God, a God who is faithful to me in ways I understand and express, who, who expresses faithfulness in the ways that I choose. You heard the eye, didn't you? But really, I'm, I'm talking about you. The good news, there is such a God. Little g. In fact, there are many of them. Constructed of small snippets of Bible verses glued together with human reason and need. These gods always move in expected ways according to the, the given formula. Their faithfulness always feels good. It almost always ends in bankable results that that is, of course, the good news. The bad news? You're waiting for it. None of them represent the God of the Bible. 
And that's going to be your challenge today. Because when I talk about the God's disturbing faithfulness, I'm going to root around in some stuff that you're going to be uncomfortable in today. Again, if you're honest, if you want to enjoy the veneer of Christianity, you will walk away today and say, well, that preacher just missed it. He's out there doing his thing. I don't really, don't really got, didn't really get him today. I'm going to unmask some of your false impressions of God and how you think you can manipulate him. And the intent of this message is to dislodge wrong thinking that you've become comfortable with. And so, yes, uh, this message will disturb you. Thus, the title, different from what you initially imagined, God's disturbing faithfulness. And that's where I begin. With what is actually a question. My first main point, this is faithfulness? Question mark. Now, the faithfulness of God is celebrated throughout the Bible, but nowhere better than in the Psalms. Yeah, God's faithfulness is one of the psalmist's favorite reasons for praising the Lord. And I'll just show you a couple of them, but they're all scattered throughout the Psalms. But look at Psalms 86 initially. Psalms 86 verse 15 it write, it's written this way, but you, O Lord, are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. Unfailing love and faithfulness. Psalm 89, verses 1 and 2, read like this. I will sing of the Lord's unfailing love forever. Young and old will hear of your faithfulness. So I'm not challenging whether or not God is faithful. So why not praise God for His faithfulness? When we think of all the wonderful promises He's made and, and realize that because of His perfect faithfulness, He will keep each and every one. How glorious. And if I stopped there, you would all be, wow, that's so neat. That's so nice. But here's the problem. Often, God refuses to act in simple, easily understandable ways that coincide with our definition of what faithfulness should look like. That's the dilemma. I've laid the framework. I'm going to carry it a few steps further, and you're going to see it. As you move, see, this is what happens. When you come to Jesus, he saves your soul. You're all excited because you know he did that. You asked him. He came into your heart. You know it happened. And now I get to ask God anything I want, and he's going to answer me. 
and you've just set yourself up for struggle. And I'm here today to remind you that as you move along, you grow more deeply relationally with the Lord, the Lord of, hear me when I say it, the Lord of the Scriptures. This is what we discover. Contrary to personal or popular belief and and teaching, to our great annoyance, I might add, he just doesn't fit the picture we want to paint of him. We ask him to be faithful by answering all of our prayers for healing. Psalm 103, verse 3 makes it clear. He heals all our diseases. And, And David, or the psalmist, personalized it. He says, He heals all my diseases. Hear it? Heals all my diseases. So we beg and we plead, and yet someone we love dies. Oh, I told you it'd be difficult. I told you I was going to root around in some stuff, and you're going to walk away going, wow, hmm. You you pray, you believe, you plead, you do everything you know to do. You fast. But somebody you love and loves the Lord dies. We request financial help. After all, Philippians 4.19, God will The same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. So we look for the check and it does not appear. What are we to think? Either God is not being faithful to his promise which is unthinkable, or else we do not understand what that faithfulness means. We do not understand what that faithfulness looks like. So second main point, I've laid the groundwork, the dilemma. When God doesn't show up like we think he's supposed to show up, when God doesn't appear at the moment or the way that we think he should appear, I've laid the groundwork. Now, what is God's faithfulness supposed to look like? Fortunately, we have someone in Scripture that dealt with the issue already for us. Somebody say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Because wasn't wasn't this Job's question? (laughs) Wasn't that Job's dilemma? Wasn't this what troubled Job? I mean, the religious world that he inhabited. I want you to hear me now. I'm still laying some groundwork because you're going to have to catch where this goes and how we we get there. But the religious world he inhabited believed God's faithfulness should look like doing, fixing, judging, even cursing, answering, healing, and providing. This is certainly the view of Job's friends, right? You agree? It was the view of Job's friend. 
I mean, if you really love God, if you're committed to God and you kept His commandments, then God showed up and He took care of everything. You had a great life. And this is certainly their view, Job's friends, that is, because in return for their works righteousness, they believed that God was obliged to make things right for His people. I'm talking to people right now. I'm talking to somebody right now. You're in the middle of the dilemma right now. If you're honest with me, some of you are deeply struggling with the idea that you have to fight COVID virus. That you have to deal with this issue. You thought going into this, I'm exempt. That's how Job's friends thought. Yet Job, whom God himself, listen to me when I say it, God himself declared righteous, is beset with every sort of suffering and loss. Did you hear what I said? God himself declared Job righteous, yet he's beset with unimaginable loss. So in return for his righteousness, Job received unimaginable suffering. He asked those hard questions. And I'm asking you to go ahead. Go ahead. Today, you might as well be honest with yourself because God knows your thoughts. Where is God's faithfulness? Had he forgotten his promises? Was he hiding? Was God asleep? Those are words, thoughts that Job put out there. Is it possible that a deep source of Job's pain was that the true God might indeed be nothing like the God of his old definition? Is it possible that that's, that's the struggle that, that Job is enduring right now in this moment? No, I'm not, I'm not proposing that the pain of his murdered children was less than this battle with understanding God and His faithfulness. Nor am I proposing that, that his wrecked health was less important than this faith struggle and how God appeared to him. Here's the thing. In Job's world, God was a question-answering God who faithfully provided wisdom. That's what Job thought. So uh, I'm unmasking hidden struggles in your own life by unmasking what was going on in Job's life. And fortunately for us, we have the whole Bible story to tell us the answers. What does God do when He finally shows up for Job? He believed God was an answering God with wisdom from on high. And what is the first thing God does? It's all in Job 38 through 42. What is the first thing God does? He doesn't answer his questions. 
He asked questions. Wasn't what Job was expecting. No, God says to Job, Where were you, bud? When that northern star was placed in the heavens, where were you, Job? The very earth that you stand on right now, bud. Where were you when I set it on its axis? Spun it in space perfectly to create a 24-hour period. Where were you, Job, when the oceans were designed? Where were you, Job? That's how God shows up for Job think that's what he was looking for? Now, on the contrary, how disappointing for Job and his friends. The God of Job clearly has more in mind than just meting out justice. That's what his friends were expecting. God's going to show up, Job, and he's going to straighten things out. He's going to prove to all of us that you've been lying, Job. And yet God doesn't show up like that for them. But on the other hand, he doesn't show up like Job thought he was going to show up either. God's faithfulness, here, write this down. God's faithfulness is expressed in a way that no one could have ever imagined. And I've said it multiple times already, but you weren't focused on it. I'm going to help you see it now. He showed up. Did you hear that? All of you are sitting there right now and you're thinking, well, of course, you know, God's good. That's only because you know the rest of the story. You already know the way it ends. You have the comfortability of sitting in your lounge chair, sitting in that pew right now with all of your thoughts about how God is supposed to work because you know the end of Job's story. But Job walked it out. Not a day, not a week, not a month, not a few months like COVID virus. He walked it out for years, suffering loss. Every one of his children murdered. His health in total disarray. Job was walking this out. And you think you got problems right now? That would mess up anybody's view of God. Thank God you don't have to live Job's life. Oh, you like the other side of it. Oh, we all know that God shows up in an amazing way. But here's the thing. All that really mattered is that God showed up. How do I know that? It tells us in chapter 42, verse 5. My ears had heard of you. I heard about you. Now, after my pain, after my struggle, after all of this heartache, I see you. I see you, God. 
Oh, we use the phrase. Some of you young people, you'll do it. You'll do it even online. I see you. God does that with Job. A God whose faithfulness is made visible simply by showing up. And I have another question for you. Does that sound familiar? If it were December 13 or thereabouts right now, does it sound familiar? Third main point, faithfulness incarnate. Faithfulness incarnate. Matthew 1.23 puts it this way. And they will call him. Hallelujah. They will call him Emmanuel. Which means God with us. Come on, you got to tell your neighbor. You got to tell him God is with us. God's with me. Here's the thing. Many who came close to Jesus were disappointed by his disturbing revelation of the faithfulness of God. <laughs> Let me explain that. It needs explanation. You see, I'm setting you guys up, so get yourselves ready up top. There were those who wanted Jesus to judge and condemn the woman in John 8, 3 through 6, the woman caught in adultery. If Jesus were to be faithful to their notion of God and the law, they reasoned he had no choice but to pronounce her fate. She was caught in the act after all.
like his father, Jesus has come to show us that God is faithful in ways that we never could have imagined. He refused to condemn the woman caught in adultery because he knew he would be condemned for her. He took her judgment. He took your judgment. John 3.17 puts it this way. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Notice that those words are in red. That means Jesus actually said that. Not to judge the world, but to save it. You see, Jesus says it this way. I'll pronounce judgment on no one. He tells his critics that. You judge me, John 8, 15. You judge me. But I do not judge anyone. John 12, 47. I have come to save the world and not to judge it. You see it there? I'm, I'm cutting through some of the other stuff, but, but it's there. I, I, I have come to save the world and not to judge it. So the disturbing, here's why I use the terminology, the disturbing faithfulness of Jesus does not look like condemnation. Instead, he showed up to save. They gave him the stones. And of all people, he had the right to pick them up and throw them. He chose something different. showed up to save and to someone that they thought should be condemned Jesus stretches out his hands oh I know the rest of the story I know he tells her to go and sin no more I know those things just like you but the fact that he even extended a hand to her that's not what they expected and he does that so many times Oh, if Jesus knew who was, who was at his feet, if he knew the kind of woman she was, he would send her away. On the contrary, though, right? If he knew who he was talking to it that well, he wouldn't have given her the time of day. On the contrary, he showed up to save now that's on the condemnation side, the judging side, but others, even in his day, wanted him for his healing. And certainly Jesus healed people by the thousands. I know what the word says here too. If everything Jesus did were recorded, John writes, there's not enough books in existence to contain everything that he did. Faithfulness for Jesus didn't always look like healing. 
particular the story of Lazarus. And look at what the word says in uh, John 11, verse 1. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on the Lord's feet. I just talked about her, didn't I? And wiped them with her hair. <clears throat> they ultimately become great friends. Her brother Lazarus was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory for, from this. So although Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. And you all know, again, like Job, you know the rest of the story. So you're sitting comfortably there listening to me going, yeah, but, yeah, but. You have it figured out because you see it all. But not so for Martha. Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. If you'd only be, been here. Do you hear the expectations? I don't understand, Jesus. I'm putting words to her thoughts. And you've had the same thoughts. I, I don't understand, Lord. He's your friend. I don't understand. This is your story. I don't understand. We've served you. We've followed you. We've followed the ways that you taught us to follow. We've done the things you told us to do. I don't understand. Lord, if you'd only been here, my brother would not have died. If only you would have fixed things, healed him, answered our prayers. Hear me when I say it. Answered our prayers the way we wanted them answered. And before Jesus moves on to the tomb to call forth the dead man, he enacts what most of us never regard as a miracle. And today I'm asking you to pause for a moment and consider this miracle. He does something no one planned. No one thought. He wept. You know why you're confused right now? That I'm calling this miraculous? It's because you know the rest of the story. And that's bringing confusion to you because why cry? Why? Why weep, Jesus? What makes that special? And if you're taking notes, this is what you write down because this is my entire message in one nutshell. He showed up and entered fully 
and painfully into the suffering of his friends. What makes that special? Emmanuel. This, I'm going to say it another way. Because you know that moments later, indeed, he would provide the resurrection miracle that none of them could have imagined asking for. They wouldn't even have bothered at that stage, really, because nothing like this has ever happened. They got no reference point for this. They can't go Old Testament. They can't pull something out of the hat they've never heard of or seen anything like this. Three days dead. They don't have a reference point. But he is standing there right now weeping. What has changed now is the true image of faithfulness. That's what's changed. It's not judgmental. It's not with anger in his eyes. Rather, Jesus is standing there crying. Why? For Pete's sake. He knows what he's about to do. It's not making sense. And here it is. God incarnate, enfleshed, and gave form to faithfulness. Enfleshed is not in your dictionary. But you know what it means. In this scenario, you, can, you, you know what it means. God incarnate. God as a man. God in human form. God came down to earth and in that moment he understood everything that was going on in your heart, in my heart, in Mary's heart, in Martha's heart. He understood it in a way that only that could prove his faithfulness. Faithfulness, you see, was Jesus fully present. Present in their redemption and ours. Present in their suffering and ours. Present in their loneliness and ours. And here's what the scripture says. You know these verses, but they never make more sense than right now in this moment. Acquainted with their griefs and ours. You're sitting out there right now, you're listening to me in cybersphere. And I want to remind you that Jesus is sitting there beside you in your depth and your sorrow and your struggle and your pain and your difficulty, whether it's physical healing that you need, whether it's financial distress that you're in, I'm telling you, Jesus is present. And this was a faithfulness no one expected. So deeply personal, so fully satisfying. Jesus didn't always faithfully give people answers or healing or judgments, but he did give them himself. That's the miracle.
that every single one of us can know and experience. Let me bring it to a conclusion. The promise of presence. The promise of presence. Who is God for you? What do you think his faithfulness should look like? Who is Jesus for you? How is faithfulness written on his face? So I bring it back around to you right at your doorstep. Could it be that the greatest show of faithfulness is not the healing or the unexpected check that saves you from bankruptcy, but the unthinkable truth that God has chosen to be with us through it all. You get it, don't you? He's chosen to be. It's an unthinkable truth. He's chosen. Could it be that the miracle is, is not provision but presence? I don't mean presence. I mean presence. Sounds am- amazingly the same. It is a gift, but it's the gift of His presence. I'm still amazed that the King of the universe, <laughs> He chose me. He walks with me. I'm not implying that he won't walk with you. In fact, I'm certain that he does, but, I, but I'm still amazed by it. I'm still, I'm 59 years old, been walking this path now some 50 plus years. And I'm still amazed. He chose me. King of the universe. So I say it to you this way, faithfulness most resembles the God who showed up and in the process became acquainted with all our sorrows. His promise of faithfulness is heard in the parting words, his parting words. Listen to what he says, Matthew 28, 20, he puts it this way, surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Look at your neighbor right now. You're nearby. Look at him and say, he's with you. He's with you. Listen to me when I say this. It's going to be a little bit hard. Your spouse cannot promise you that. Oh, I know they pledged it. When they gave you the ring, they pledged, I'll be with you, I'm yours. I mean, Pastor Amy and I are working on 40 years now. But, but the word, here's the, here's the thing. I can say it, but I could go first. 
So her end may be without me present. You have a best friend. You, know, you, 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 you made the blood promise, man. You pricked your finger or did something, put blood on it, and that's what we used to do when we were kids. But God forbid that you do something like that today. Make a blood promise, right? Any of y'all ever do that? Was that just... We, we didn't, it wasn't just in the South we did stuff like that. Please don't try that today. I will not do that with you. But you, you, can't, you can't make that promise. You can say, I'll be with you till I die. But Jesus... He will be there that moment that you take your last breath. Or if you're like me, believe in that that last moment before you're caught up, snatched. Ask yourself, how did God himself speak of his faithfulness in both testaments? This is where I come down to my finish today. Deuteronomy 31, verse 6. So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them. For the Lord your God will personally, you hear it? The Lord your God will personally go ahead of you. He will never fail you nor abandon you. Now look at Hebrews 13, verse 5. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. Got you in the old, got you in the new. God's always there. Let's do Exodus 25, verse 8. Have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. What about Revelation 21, verse 3? Old Testament, New Testament. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. God himself. Is it possible that God is working a more miraculous miracle than we ever could have asked for or even imagined? What's that? Here it is. Here's the miracle that God, the God of the universe, the King of kings, the Lord of hosts, has determined to do a work in us rather than for us. Lo, I am with you always, the King James says. And so I close with these words. Stand to your feet. Pull up that scripture. Philippians 1 verse 6. You can write it in your notes a moment from now, but I want those of you who are present in the sanctuary to read with me. And I am certain that God, 
who began the work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Did you notice that word? That God, who began a good work within, will continue His work. I did it in the early service. There's a few of you that know it. Can remember the simple words from that little song, the Candy Hemp Hill, a name that you do not know, but you know, some of you know the song. All the way back in the early 70s. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. It took him just a week to make the moon and the stars. The sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient He must be. He's still working on me. And He'll be working on you till you're snatched or you breathe your last. You have His assurance. Pastor Mackay is going to lead us in a song that I want you to sing with us. And remember, you're going to be dismissed. So please stay in your pew. Christ. You've never taken a moment to say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and be my Lord and Savior. You perhaps have done that, but walked away from the Lord. But you now recognize that maybe, maybe what I talked about this morning is the thing. You walked away from God because He didn't meet you the way that you thought He should meet you. Somehow you've caught on to this message today. That's a word for some of you. you. You need to actually send this, forward this message to somebody that you know walked away from Jesus because of some pain, some heartache. They couldn't reconcile it. 
It didn't make sense to them. It didn't work for them in their hearts and in their minds. You need to send this message to them. You need to get this message to them and remind them that God enfleshed. God became flesh and he dwelt among us. That's the perfect picture of his faithfulness. He came down to earth. He left the splendor and glory of heaven and he came here to be with us. So maybe you're listening to me right now and you fit that picture. Today's the day that you say, God, I'm sorry. I was looking for you in a different way. I was looking for you to come to me in a different way. Maybe you're right now in the audience. You bow your head, close your eyes. Nobody's looking around, please, in this moment. And and you would say that I need to get things right with God because I had a different picture of God and He didn't meet my expectations and I walked away and I'm not right yet. But I want to be right. Lift your hand way up high if that's you and you're right here present. If you're, if you're not here present but you still feel that way, lift that hand up right where you are. Say, I know I need Jesus in my life. I need Him to forgive me of my sin. So if you're listening to me right now and that's your story, then say, Lord, forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart. Be my Savior. Forgive me for everything I've ever done wrong, for wrong thinking, a wrong way. And God, I commit my life to you. From this moment, I am yours. I intend to serve you and follow you with a pure heart. A pure heart. In Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer and you meant business with God, you can connect with us online. I encourage you to do that. Please do that so that we can help you to know what next steps look like. If you just made a commitment to Jesus, we want to help you. But I have a further word just for those of you that are present as well as those of you who are still listening to me. And and if you're honest today, I ask the people that are present just to please close your eyes one more time. I know, I know you're ready to roll, but just hang in there for just one, two, three more minutes. I'll say it that way. You're present or you're listening online and, and your view of God had been dimmed because of how you viewed Him and what your expectations were. And perhaps your expectations were not met and it injured your faith. Maybe you're present in the sanctuary or you're listening to me online. Those of you present in the sanctuary, and that's your story, lift your hand up. It's okay, nobody's looking around. I'm not going to point you out naturally. You can't have an altar time anyway like what we call normal say my faith has been injured because of how I expected God to show up and he didn't show up like that lift your hand I'll give you one more second or two I'm not seeing anybody in the sanctuary so I'm certain though that there are people that are listening to me right now that you would say that's my story and I I want you to pray with me right now Lord I'm, I'm praying for all of you those present and those that are listening in via live stream. Lord, I ask you to minister to them, God. 
you know better than anyone exactly what it is that they've endured. You know exactly what it is that brought them to the moment where, where their faith has been twisted and mangled and, and they couldn't really pick it up and they walked away. They were hurt. They were damaged. Feel like used goods. You feel abused by what you heard and what you thought. God's there right now saying, I, I've got you, child. I've got you. Morning by morning, His mercies are new. He's always faithful. He can only be faithful. And what you need to recognize is the miracle of His presence. Never will I leave you. You can't run away from His love. He's tracking you down, even now. Father, bless them, keep them, and strengthen them. Come on, let's go out singing this chorus and this song now. Come on, Pastor McKay. Great is thy faithfulness, and great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. No. thy faithfulness oh God my father there is no shadow of turning with thee I hope you've enjoyed today's message and that it has been a blessing to you Thank you for listening in. If you have met Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you please connect with us either at our website, www.centralfamily.net, or perhaps give us a call at 610-865-0577. We'd love to hear from you. Also, if this has been that kind of a blessing to you, would you consider blessing us with a financial gift to make it possible for us to continue to do what we're doing here and taking the gospel, not only to the Lehigh Valley, but around the world. We want to do our part in reaching the people that God has entrusted to us with the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can help us with your financial gift or sowing a seed to this ministry. God bless you. Have an amazing day. Remember, you can reach us and give through www.centralfamily.net.